0: You are listening to NFL Kickoff Live, an hour-long weekly show to break down this week's action and biggest storylines around the NFL. You can catch us live each week from 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern on your favorite Locked On NFL YouTube page. Into NFL kick off live. It's the best hour of football talk every single Friday. We'll go around the NFL, talk about every team and every game, and we'll get you local insight that can't get anywhere else. But right here at Locked On, I'm your host, Tanitra Batista. Alongside me are Kyle Krabs and Michelle Majuk. Let's go straight to Thursday night football where the unflappable Joe Flacco did it again especially michelle in that first half it was like joe flacco of old joe flacco circle baltimore Ravens super bowl champions. joe flacco not the joe flacco that we saw who went three and 14 in his last 17 games and was basically a bench warmer for the jets or the guy who was probably shuttling his kids back and forth to daycare and school respectively this year man michelle when you talk about three touchdowns in that first half and of course Uh, Browns go on to win 37 to 20 over the Jets and just the fact that he's gone four and one in his five starts with the Browns and pulled them into the playoffs for the first or second time rather in 21 seasons. How amazing was it? How amazing has it been?
1: Absolutely. I mean, what Joe Flacco is doing is absurd. Honestly, he came, he came into the bronze. I was like, okay, they're probably finished, right? They're bringing in this old man that's coming off the couch, but he looks great and he should be the comeback player of the year this year. Like hands down, he deserves to win that award. Four straight games with 300-plus re- passing yards. Longest streak of his career. He waited until now to have that streak. It's also the longest streak in Browns team history, and it's tied for the longest streak with Tom Brady for, uh, by a player of 38-plus years old. So what he's doing is really exceptional, and he actually gives them a chance in the playoffs because if they're going to go into playoffs with Dorian Thompson-Robinson or or P.J. Walker, they had no chance. But the way Joe Flacco's playing right now, they they surely do.
0: And Kyle, Michelle makes a great point. The fact that this is the first time in the history of the entirety of the NFL where a team has made it to the postseason behind four quarterbacks, not one, not two, not three, not four. And I'm sure when Deshaun Watson went down very early in the season, nobody could have imagined that we'd be having this conversation to Michelle's point that this could be one of the more dangerous teams in the postseason this year.
2: Yeah. I think the thing that's really exciting for Cleveland is if they stop turning the ball over. I mean, they have three turnovers in three of the last four games and they had two in the one they didn't turn it over three times and they put the ball on the ground two more times and recovered it against the jets. So uh, the fact that they're doing all this and the running game hasn't been overly consistent because they've had a bunch of injuries on the offensive line, plus Nick Chubb and Joe Flacco's just out there kind of ripping the ball all over the field and David and joke who has this big time resurgence and Elijah Moore and the chemistry that they had in New York, and obviously we hope that Elijah's okay with the injury that he suffered last night as well. But it, it's it's brought a new element to this offense, and with how good that defense is, if they don't turn the ball over, I certainly want to be would not want to be the AFC South team that draws them as the four or five matchup here in a couple of weeks.
0: Yeah, I think it's one of those things where I wouldn't want to draw Miles Garrett. In four or five weeks, because he's one of those players that's been sneaky good this season. Obviously, Michelle, were you still a guy like Miles Garrett having sack numbers that are out of control? He had one uh, last night, and it was almost like a shocker, like wow, Miles Garrett actually has a sack this season. But somehow, some way, he is kind of an example of what that defense is all about. The stat line may not tell you everything that you need to know about that defense, but when it counts, they really came up uh, and and came came up big last year, but. Really, have been kind of keeping on some level the Browns afloat the, this entire season.
1: Yeah, absolutely. If all the Browns needed was a quarterback that could be average, right? And Joe Flacco is offering more than that. Now, you did bring up, I mean, his turnovers. That might not play out as well in the postseason, right? When they're playing against these super tough teams. The Jets are a super hard defense, but they had no offense, right? And Joe Flacco could have been picked off a couple more times in that game last night, to be completely honest. Like, it's really fun to watch Flacco right now because he's just playing like there's no care in the world. But at the same time, that those turnovers might come over, come to bite them in the postseason. Their defense, though, is just so so stout, and I do expect them to win in the wild card round if they they get Houston or the Jaguars. I, I think they can beat them.
0: Yeah, and let's to your point, Michelle. There were some moments where you're like, oh, you can get picked off. Okay, the drive continues, right? Uh, And and so, yeah, you definitely have that opportunity where you say, oh, wow, that could have been another pick six, if you will, because it was kind of one of those crazy games where it was obvious after the first two possessions that it was going to be uh, a bit of a shootout, if you will, which was shocking because these are both two solid defenses. And then things just kind of slowed down in that second half, especially. For the Browns, of course, they still were able to pull out the win. But, Kyle, speaking of that, I actually do want to talk about those Jets because, yeah, they – I mean, you could have left them for dead in the second quarter, but yet they found a way. Trevor Simeon kind of slowly but surely got them back into the game. Brees Hall had really strong runs where he needed to have them. One was of uh, 25 yards, in fact. And they just finally kind of clawed their ways back and on some level kept themselves in it until, obviously, uh, the Browns pulled away again late. So what about that New York Jets team? Of course – Not for what you saw last night as it relates to this season, but whether Aaron Rodgers comes back in his under center next year or there's someone else there, at least it looks like Robert Sala still has some things that he can be encouraged by or or to build on.
2: Yeah, I think you you look at Garrett Wilson and and Brees Hall as kind of the staples offensively of Mm -hmm. that group. Uh, be hard to blame them if they totally flush the offensive line out and, and rebuilt the whole thing with the tackle room. Uh, looks like uh, Joe Tippmann, their second-round pick, is, is a really nice hit for them on the interior offensive line. They'll obviously hope that Elijah Vera Tucker can stay healthy. He's been an excellent player when he's been healthy. So they have some pieces up front on the line, and, and having Brees Hall and the performance that he gave, particularly on the opening drive, right? Like he he was the offense on the opening drive for them. Um, it, it gives you something to work with, but I think the thing that I would be just a little leery about if I was a New York Jets fan is they're going to sit here and run this whole thing back? And it, if they're just going to ask Aaron Rodgers to fix all of the issues, uh, undisciplined play, sloppy, easily avoidable mistakes, the defense for all of the love and the fanfare that the the defense has gotten and got coming into this season, they've given up thirty plus points in like half of their last six seven games. It, it's just not Aaron Rodgers returning fixes all your problems. So I think this is a critical offseason mm-hmm. for a coach and a GM that are probably going to enter on the hot seat to some degree. And they have a short-term window with a quarterback. How do you make the most of it? And I don't envy them for having to make those decisions, but it's one of those things where don't just assume 12 is going to fix all your problems because you got bigger issues going on than that.
0: Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. I think that's one of those valid points where I heard a commentator say it last night and I kind of cringed where he kind of talked about the Jets and maybe more so in the second half and what he saw in the first half. But he literally was like, yeah, because when Aaron Rodgers comes back, like this team really has a lot of potential to be a playoff team. And I'm sitting there going, so basically what we saw with the rest of the team and some of the gaps that we saw, like those don't count for anything. And so I think you make an excellent point, Kyle. Like it's more than just bringing back Aaron Rodgers or having him back under center that would put this team into contention. And one of the key reasons is because, I mean, you still have to get out of your division. Like for starters, like that division, when you look at what the Dolphins have been able to do, look at what the Bills have been able to do in terms of surging back. And New England is actually attempting to at least do something respectable to end this particular season. And you never know what moves they might make for a reset for next season. It won't be that easy to just automatically bolt the Jets to the top of the afc east or to be able to just throw them in or thrust them in michelle to say yep they're, they're going to be in contention they've, they've got the tools they've got the resources uh, i don't know about that
1: yeah and uh, acting like aaron rogers coming off an achilles injury is just going to be the aaron rogers he was a few years ago or a couple years ago with the packers I mean, we saw him struggle without Devonte Adams. Maybe they trade for Devonte Adams. I mean, they might be looking, you know, the Raiders might be looking to trade him away. That would be a great deal, but they 100% need to fix that offensive line or he's going to get injured again and you're going to be in the same exact boat where you don't have a, a quarterback. What they really need to make sure though is to have a solid backup quarterback. They need to stop going into this with no depth at quarterback and just relying on these nobodies. Like Joe Flacco was sitting out there for how long? And they were like, no, we'll just stick with... Uh, Trevor Simeon and Boyle, like, come on. Yeah, they they need to have uh, Aaron Rodgers and also a solid backup behind them next year to have any faith that this team will actually compete.
0: Yeah, I think, Kyle, you'd say that the Browns probably could have more of a conversation about what things are going to look like next year even better for them because hopefully Deshaun Watson comes back and becomes the Deshaun Watson of old. And who knows, maybe Joe Flacco comes back to be a solid backup yet again. And speaking of backups, it's like, are we re- really having this conversation where literally there have been like nine different QBs under center and Joe Flacco is the one we're talking about the most? Like who would have thought? One, two, four weeks ago when we started seeing this rash of injuries with starting QBs and starting to see backups going into, you know, the the second on the depth chart, the third on the depth chart, in his case, the fourth on the depth chart. Who would have thought we would have been having that conversation? But this has been that quirky, crazy year, maybe with the exception of your Miami Dolphins, where we have seen backups have to really not just come in in a little pinch here and there, but actually be responsible for helping their teams to win or in this, this case, advance.
2: Tanitra, we got two weeks left in the regular season. I'm going to knock on wood for you there, talking about two and the Dolphins quarterback. I
0: know, right?
2: But somebody had to step up and take the mantle from Josh Dobbs because Josh Dobbs was the out-of-left-field, third-string quarterback's uh, sensation. And then he gets traded to Minnesota, and things are good to start. And the longer it goes, the more it regresses to the point where Minnesota is now going back to Jaron Hall, a, a mid-round rookie uh, with two games left to playing and, and kind of their playoff eligibility on the line, uh, so it's it's fun to see. And I think Joe Flacco's experience certainly helps him, where he gets installed sure. into uh, Kevin Stefanski's offense, and he has Amari Cooper. Not that he had Amari Cooper last night, but he did have pre-existing chemistry with Elijah Moore, and then David and Joku, uh, kind of this criminally underutilized weapon. And Cleveland's paid him well, and seeing him kind of get the opportunity to be one of the feature guys in the offense without Nick Chubb and how much that running game is the identity. It's kind of just this perfect storm. And I don't know that Joe would do this everywhere, but he's doing it here and it's really fun to see. And and I thought he kind of worded it best himself when he was asked after the game about when he he kind of takes a step back and reflects on the situation. He said, man, I'm Mm -hmm. trying not to take a step back. I just want to stay in this moment and, and enjoy this while it lasts and, And, you know, when when it's over, then we'll take a step back and reflect on just how crazy this experience has been.
0: Yeah, crazy indeed. And the Browns on a four-game winning streak, which he's been the critical part of that, even to your point, Michelle, when he's been there with his turnovers, but somehow he just shakes it off. I like to call it selective amnesia, where you don't really remember what happened that last time. You're just going to go out and be the best you, you can be. But I heard something else that I thought was interesting, and I was thinking about this too, like, when you are on a four-game winning streak and a lot of other things are clicking for you and you look at those teams that are right above them in the AFC, AFC excuse me, playoffs picture and you got the Chiefs and the Jaguars, both of whom are swooning, the Browns might just be the team that of all of those teams kind of below the one-two, of course, with the Ravens and the Dolphins, that might be the other team you just don't want to see this postseason.
1: What's crazy is this AFC conference really does not have anyone that you feel a hundred percent about will win their playoff game, even in the first round, any of these teams you can picture losing or winning. And with the Browns, if they show up on defense, now their defense is a lot softer on the road than it is at home. And most likely, unless something crazy happens, they're not going to have really any home games, right. In the playoffs, Mm -hmm. but I I do, I could picture them beating the chiefs with how much they're struggling right now. I could definitely, like I would put money on the Browns to beat the Jaguars if they face them. I think their hardest competition would probably be the Ravens. And because like Tua and the dolphins offense can be inconsistent as well. I mean, I really don't feel strongly about any of these AFC teams, maybe the bills, right? If they, if they actually get into these playoffs, that might be the team that I feel the best about going forward.
0: So Michelle, even after you saw what the Ravens did to the 49ers, you're saying, yeah, maybe they look, and we know we'll talk a little bit about sell me why a little bit later. And we know that you always kind of help us through that, looking at the nuances with different teams and also the nuances on who can or will win. But yeah, I I think that's a great point that you make because I am still hearing that chat, that chatter rather about the AFC and like, yeah, we saw what the Ravens did to the 49ers, but. So why is that butt, and then just going off the beaten path a little bit there, but why is that butt still there for the Ravens?
1: I <laughs> I I think our scare is with Lamar Jackson in the playoffs, right? We've seen him now, we've seen this team be dominant, and then we've seen them go into the playoffs and kind of fall apart. I think that's our biggest worry. Maybe that's not fair to put on Lamar. And they they've been nothing but dominant over the last five games, especially. But it's also one of those things where they don't have that crazy home field advantage, right? So if they get the number one seed, I don't think that's such a bad thing for the AFC because it's not like it is with Dallas right now, right? Or Dallas or Miami, where when they're home, they're great, right? That's not really a thing for the Ravens. So I could see them losing at home. And if they face a team that has their number or, If they get down the ravens really struggle right so i i don't feel as confident against the about the ravens as i do as the dominant teams on the nfc like the 49ers i know they just beat up on the 49ers but i wouldn't be worried about any team going to face the 49ers in the playoffs
0: interesting interesting take and Kyle you know I'd ask you the same of course like I said a lot of pundits are saying the Browns are the team that you don't want to see you'd rather see a Jaguars team you'd rather see a Chiefs team that's swooning but it was still interesting to me as well just to hear a lot of people talking about the Ravens and saying hey eh, I don't quite know if I'm as afraid of them as maybe you normally would be of a number one seed
2: yeah and and I think Baltimore is a really interesting team too obviously the The performance they put up against San Francisco is boosted by five interceptions and and the field position that comes with a lot of that. And I think Michelle makes a great point as far as Lamar Jackson's, his era of Baltimore Ravens football in the postseason. They haven't had a deep postseason run. And then you look at the personnel depth chart and you say, okay, well, uh, Keith Mitchell was supposed to be the big juice and boost to the running back room. And he's out with a knee injury and Mark Andrews is out right now. And Zay Flowers is a kind of become the go-to guy there. Odell Beckham's kind of yeah. intermittently an impactful player, but not consistently an impactful player. Rashad Bateman hasn't materialized. So you just kind of go down the list and you look at the group around him, and I think it mm-hmm. just puts so much onto Lamar Jackson specifically that if you get a team that can scheme against that effectively, it does kind of make you leery. I think Michelle put it a great way. Baltimore's great when they dictate the terms of the game. And they're yeah. able to do that really, really well because they're a well-coached football team and they have elite talent on the defensive side of the ball and one of the most dynamic quarterbacks in the game. But if the game script breaks a different way, how much do you trust them to chase a game? And, you know, they, they don't have that on their resume throughout the entirety of Lamar's starting history. Really, it's not not too many instances of that happening. So I think that's why you look at Baltimore and you, you hear somebody build, that that do say, yeah, but, we just want to be a little bit more cautious before we buy all the way in.
0: Understood. And we're going to talk a little bit more about those Ravens who have another big showdown this weekend with the Dolphins. We'll talk about it later in the short show. Also, it's almost time for us to talk about another big game, our game of the week between the Cowboys and Lions. But before we get into that, you might want to tap in to what Kyle has to say about LinkedIn.
2: I'm going to apologize in advance because I don't quite have the same juice as Jarvis Davis does. But when you're hiring for your small business, you want to have as many top tier candidates as possible to interview. And that's why I have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. This is not just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals with a B which makes it the best place to hire. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses report getting at least one qualified candidate within 24 hours of their posting. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats that it might not have the time or resources that they ideally have for the hiring process. Thankfully, with LinkedIn, their process is intuitive, quick, and easy. They even launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process for you even easier and quicker. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on NFL. That's linkedin.com slash locked on NFL to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply.
0: So, guys, the Dallas Cowboys are fighting for the NFC East. They're also fighting to stop a little bit of a skid, a two-game losing streak, while the Detroit Lions are coming off that emotional week, winning the NFC North with a win over the Vikings. Will the Lions have enough left in the tank to go into Dallas, where, like you said, Michelle, the Cowboys are as good as anybody in the league when they're playing in their own stadium. So will the Lions be able to go there and win? Well, Matt Derry of Locked On Lions joins Marcus Mosher of Locked On Cowboys to break down how they think.
3: This one is gonna go down. The Lions need to run the football. The last thing you want to do is C.C.D. Lamb and, and Pollard and, and and those guys and Dak on the field a ton. Lions run the ball, getting four or five you know yard chunks with Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs, running that clock a little bit. Second and shorts with the play action game that Ben Johnson, the Lions' offensive coordinator, loves to utilize then that keeps Dallas off the field. So I think running the football is going to be very, very key uh, in in winning this game for the Lions. Just not making a lot of mistakes. And again, no letdown. I mean, Marcus, like I said before, I mean, this team was celebrating in a big way. It was a t-shirt and hat game last Sunday in Minnesota, winning the division. Can they muster up that kind of excitement, that kind of energy for this game Saturday night? Shouldn't be too difficult. Like you said, Jimmy Johnson Day, in Dallas, you're playing at Jerry World. It's in prime time, but again, they're they're off of an, a humongous emotional high in winning the division for the first time in 30 years. Will they have that same kind of energy? I don't know.
4: For the Cowboys, it's just don't beat yourself in this game. The Lions are a really good team, and they're gonna have they're gonna have some amazing plays. They they've got a lot of talent. You can't afford to make critical mental errors. And last week against Miami. They were all over the place, whether it was Hunter Lipke and Dak Prescott you know missing on the, the the exchange down at the goal line. They had multiple pre-snap penalties. They were late getting play calls in. On the final defensive drive of the game, you're trying to hold the dolphins to not get the game-winning field goal. On the very first play, they get a 15-yard face mask penalty that just jump starts that drive play a somewhat clean game. And I think eventually the Cowboys talent at home will take over, but if they're consistently putting themselves behind the eight ball and they're jumping outsides and they're dropping passes That's how you lose to a team like the Lions at home, even though the Cowboys have been amazing at home this year.
0: And this is going to be you know, really interesting matchup because obviously I think there's a great point, Kyle, that we made as we went into the video, and that is sometimes you have that emotional letdown, right? You look at how long it's been for this Lions franchise since they've even sniffed the postseason, and to be able to get into the postseason with a win against a divisional rival to get that NFC North crown, I think that's pretty important. And pretty amazing but does it also pose the possibility of that letdown especially heading into Dallas to take on the Cowboys
2: yeah I think if you you measure up this time of year and the desperation element the human element of the game you know is so easily overlooked and for Dallas you beat Philadelphia at home and then you've dropped consecutive road games and uh, as Marcus said you know you shot yourselves in the foot they're the second most penalized team in football from a a number of penalties perspective and they're the third most penalized team in yardage Uh, so a lot of self-inflicted wounds some of that comes from being on the road okay that's understandable you're now at home you're 10 and 5 you got to get yourself pulled back together here and I think that part of this for Dallas the urgency that they should come into this game with as compared to a Detroit team that hasn't been in this position. They haven't won a division championship in 30 years. There's a lot of young players on this team with the the rebuild that Brad Holmes and Dad Campbell have, have been a part of. So I do think if you were to look at this game from a sense of urgency and the human element perspective of it, that compounded with the home field advantage, uh, I think is something that I, I fully expect Dallas to come out with their hair on fire and, and play a really intense game because they need it after the last couple of weeks.
0: Yeah, and as they should, because right now you've got Philadelphia at 11 and four, you've got Dallas at 10 and five, but you've got the Eagles still in that space to be able to have the strength of victory tiebreaker over the Lions, which keeps them in that two spot should they. Uh, win the next couple games, but you have Dallas still in contention to possibly win the NFC East. And it certainly makes for an easier pathway for them. Right. But ultimately speaking, they've got, before they even get that far, Michelle, before they try to look, you know, two games down, if you will, they've got to take care of business against the Lions this Sunday. And a part of it is like, everyone's been saying the definition of take care of your business is take care of the ball, play a clean game at home. And let's see what happens after that.
1: Yeah. And I think they will. I think, I don't know for whatever reason why the Cowboys can only play so well at home, but it seems to be the case, right? They've won six of their seven home games by 20 plus points. They won all of them by six plus points. The only one that was even close was that Seahawks Cowboys game, but also the Lions have had like a relatively pretty easy schedule, right? They haven't played a team that currently has a winning record since week Mm -hmm. seven. And in that week seven game, they went to Baltimore and got their booties kicked, right? They lost 38 to six. It wasn't even like the same two talented. uh, You couldn't even compare the talent teams. They just got absolutely destroyed. I don't think they get absolutely destroyed in this game, talking about the Lions, but I do think that the Cowboys put up a ton of points and a ton of yards. So that means that Jerry Goff and company are going to have to put up a ton of yards, a ton of points to just stay with them. But I don't think it happens in a way where it's super close at the end of the game. I I think the Cowboys handily win this game.
0: Hmm. Okay. Okay. What about you, Kyle? Because the point that Michelle is making is somewhat of a point that you could make about the Lions as well. Like when they go at it, like against, and of course it's Denver, so I'm going to make that caveat. And it's the same, so I'm going to make that caveat as well. But when you're looking at those games outside of the Bears game, which they lost, you look at 42 points they, they put up on Denver. Not a solid 30 on the Vikings, not bad. 33 against uh, the Saints and those of, obviously in those last four weeks. And then you go back to them right after the bye week. Well, it took 41 points for them to win and beat the Chargers. But nonetheless, they were able to drop 41 on them. Do you think if it is one of those shootout matches that it's a situation where you can see the Lions winning, maybe the shootout's in their favor because they can do it too?
2: Yeah, I think if Detroit wins the game, it's going to feel a lot like the Dallas-Seattle game from about a month yeah. ago, yeah. where the final score was 41-35, and a lot of yards exchanged. I think just from Dallas's perspective defensively, the one thing they haven't been particularly efficient at is defending the run, and you yeah. think about the offensive line that, that that Detroit brings to the table, and that rushing attack, they, they got a lot of different ways that they can come at you. They can come at you with speed, they can come at you with power, they can run inside, they can run outside, so... I think if they're able to get Dallas off balance, uh, the linebackers for Dallas are is a really tough-looking position group right now. They've had a ton of injuries in that spot. If Detroit's going to win the game, I think that's where they get it really going, and they, they keep Dallas on their heels. So I think if Dallas can, can force a, a mistake or a turnover or, or a punt early and double dip and get two scores on the board quickly, mm-hmm. uh, I think that really bodes well for them kind of playing a suffocating type of game if they forced Detroit out of what they ideally would like to play from their script perspective. But uh, I kind of see the game similarly to Michelle. Uh, But if Detroit wins, I think there's a lot of points and I think it comes courtesy of Detroit's run game.
0: Indeed. And if by chance, and I'm saying if, but it almost seems like sort of a foregone conclusion that we have the expectation that the Cowboys will win, that'll of course keep them in contention for possibly winning the NFC East. Now they end up with the Vikings, and I think that's kind of a, I don't think that's the hardest game in the world. We'll just be nice and say it that way. But ultimately speaking, it seems like they definitely have an opportunity there. But I think that Philadelphia, while they're not in a perfect position and they certainly did not play themselves in a perfect position in their last game out, but they did at least stop the skid, which is good. Kind of where do you see the, this landing And looking for maybe a couple games with the Cowboys? Should they win this one? Do they win against the Vikings? Are they your favorite to get the NFC East, or do you still give that to the Eagles?
1: I'm still giving it to the Eagles. I mean, their last two matchups against the Cardinals and uh, the Giants, there's just no reason for them to lose. Like you said, they didn't even play a good game against the Giants last week, and they're still going to win that. The Giants have nothing to play for at that point. I mean, they really didn't this last week either, but I, I see no reason for the Eagles to lose either of these two games. And the Cowboys, on the other hand, like, I, I do think they're going to handle this Lions team pretty handedly, but At the same time, this is a way harder matchup than the Eagles have to face.
0: Yeah, yeah. And when I look at it as well, I think to myself, you know, sometimes it's that motivation to, you don't always want to like back your way into the playoffs or you don't want to back your way into that division title. I think, especially when you heard uh, some of the comments, some were like, Maybe you should have kept those to yourself, Michael Parsons. But sometimes those comments where you know it's just because of a frustration and a pride, Kyle, that the Cowboys have where they don't want to have to rely completely on what other teams do to a uh, ensure, obviously, that they're going to get in the postseason, but maybe get the higher of the wild card seats or to just outright win the division. I think also this is a pride game for them, and they want to show that, hey, we went on a little skid, but the team that you saw before that is actually who we are.
2: Yeah, uh, I certainly think that they want to have some positive momentum going for themselves. Uh, all things appear as though they got at Washington to close in week 18. You're probably 11 and 6. That's going to make you the 5 seed. You're going to go play presumably Tampa if things trend the way that they're looking and and how well Tampa's played the last couple of weeks in in the NFC South. And it's a rematch of the playoff game last year. And, and obviously, a little bit different dynamics for Tampa Bay. They backed in at 8-9 and Tom Brady behind that shell of an offensive line. Uh, but you you like Dallas in that matchup, I think, even as good as Tampa is playing just because I think Dallas has, has enough needle movers on both sides of the football. So uh, you want to have some momentum that kind of gets you rolling into that matchup. And then if you can build on that, then you can kind of have that next hurdle of, okay, we're going to have to go on the road against a playoff caliber team be it Philadelphia, presume maybe San Francisco's depends. I think depends on what the Rams end up doing. I think they're a team that's capable of winning on the road in the wild card round as well with Matthew Stafford playing as well as he is like, it's not a shoe in that you're going to win and just play San Francisco. You could very easily draw Philadelphia again. And they, they should have won the first time they played Philadelphia in Philly. You know, there was some little things down the stretch that cost them that game. So, um, Get some momentum going, whether it comes this week against Detroit. Hopefully it does. I think that really would set a positive tone to kind of get you back in playoff mindset as compared to Mm -hmm. a three-game skid and then catching Washington with whoever's going to end up starting there because they're shuffling quarterbacks because who knows why with two games left in the season. Um, Yeah, I I think there's a lot of importance for Dallas to get the ship righted here and not let this snowball
0: on them before it gets in their heads. Indeed. Indeed. And I think that's a critical point that you make before it gets in their heads. Now, as we prepare you for the NFL week with Sell Me Why, here is Kyle once again to sell you on DoorDash.
2: If there's one thing that I absolutely hate, it is watching the game on an empty stomach. And the good news is that DoorDash has you covered. So if the game just went to timeout, It's time for you to order your favorite DoorDash. If it's halftime, it's ordering time. They have all of your favorite retail and local restaurants, whether you're going to the stadium and prepping for your tailgate or you're making sure you have your good luck halftime meal. DoorDash has it all available to you. Uh, Your chips, dips, nachos, everything that you need for that uh, home gate and having friends over at the house Or if you just selfishly want to make sure your Victory Monday meal is exactly what you want, but you don't have time to run out to your restaurant and eat it out or grab it and bring it back to the house, DoorDash does it all for you. You can get prepared before game day and stock up on all of your local favorites. You can get 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend $15 or more on your first order. When you download the DoorDash app and enter code LOCKED23, that's 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend $15 or more on your first order. So download the DoorDash app, enter code lock 23 subject to change and terms do apply.
0: Well, guys, now it is time to talk about the best of the worst division in the NFL. Let's talk about the New Orleans Saints. They're heading to Tampa Bay to try and shake up that NFC South playoff race. And here's Ross Jackson of Locked On Saints to tell you why the Saints can cover as two and a half point underdogs.
5: If the New Orleans Saints want to cover the spread against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this weekend, they're going to have to do something they have yet to prove they can consistently do all season. I'm Ross Jackson, host of the Locked On Saints podcast. If the New Orleans Saints want to cover the spread against Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they need to be a good football team. That's really it. And that sounds... Kind of crazy to say here on December 29th when I didn't expect that I would be sitting here talking about how challenging it is for the New Orleans Saints to put together a complete football game here in week 17 of the season, their 16th game of the year. You imagine they would have hit their stride, caught their rhythm, whatever cliche you want to use it rolls along with the rest of the cliches that I could be using about what the New Orleans Saints need to do to win this game, put pressure on Baker Mayfield. Force takeaways, force turnovers, score points, play complimentary football off of those turnovers. New Orleans Saints have seven wins so far this season and what has been a disappointing 2023 so far for a team that we expected to be a double-digit win team here in 2023. And six of those wins come in games in which the Saints have scored off of turnovers. Six and O in those six games, by the way. And so for the New Orleans Saints, it makes sense. It's easy to see what it is that they have to do win the issue is it's a lot easier said than done and especially if they want to not only cover the spread which is a slim one as it is but if they want to win and keep their playoff hopes alive it's kind of a shame that at this point what we're talking about is that this team has to be able to come in and be the football team we thought they would be week four week five week six even would have made sense with a new quarterback and changing elements and things like that but the new orleans saints just have not been able to find a way to keep it all together. Whether it's the run defense that has continued to struggle, an offense that can't catch a rhythm or catch anything, any kind of speed or momentum at all, or a defense that starts off games a little bit too slowly. The New Orleans Saints covering the spread against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is one thing, but getting out of their own way is going to be the bigger question.
0: And as, Michelle, as And Ross is my my good buddy. As my good buddy Ross was talking, I was kind of chuckling to myself because literally he listed like five or six things that the Saints need to do in order to be a good team to win. And the reason I was chuckling is because we heard that very same conversation, that very same commentary last week when we were talking about the Steelers and the seven things they need to do that they're not able to do. And well, we all know what happened. The Steelers actually won the game, right? So I have to ask two questions of you number one, we'll start off by the obvious, which is, can they cover the spread at their two and a half point underdogs? But the second question is with all the things that Ross listed that they're able to do, what do you see them as able to actually execute?
1: Listen, I will just say straight up, I'm a Derek Carr hater. All right. So take (laughs) what I say with a little grain of salt, because I just think he's a really, really bad quarterback, an NFL quarterback for teams. He's One of the worst ones when it comes to, he'll win you enough games to get you a really bad draft pick, but then never carry you to anything unless your team is perfection, which he's never had. But the Saints have lost their last three games on the road by eight or more points. So I do expect the Buccaneers to cover in this matchup. I think they're the better team. And a big part of that is not only Derek Carr throwing interceptions at the worst times, which he loves to do, but also the Saints defense has given up 27 points per game and over 400 total yards per game, over the last four road games so they're playing much much better at home really struggling on the road they're not getting those takeaways they're allowing those huge chunk plays and baker mayfield is just like he's getting it done right over the last uh, handful of games he has nine touchdowns, zero interceptions, and he's been kind of on a roll. Now, Baker can always Baker us, right? Whenever we start to believe in him, he falls <laughs> flat in his face. That's happened plenty of times. But I do think he will get this done in this matchup, and the Buccaneers beat the Saints by at least three points.
0: Yeah, and I can say that. And that was the other thing that made me chuckle, Michelle. I literally can remember because, of course, our other analyst, Jarvis Davis and I, we cover the NFC South. And at the beginning of the season, the joke was okay, they're all bad, but what's kind of the lesser of the two evils or lesser of the evil? And we talked about the four quarterbacks who were going to be under center to start the season. That being, like you said, Derek Carr, of course, Bryce Young, here Desmond Ritter, and of course Baker Mayfield. And honestly, the laugh, most of the laughter and the yeah, rights were coming for Baker Mayfield. Even more so than Derek Carr, of course, Bryce being the unknown, and then, of course, Desmond being somewhat of an unknown after having only played four games. But now here we are, Kyle, where the conversation has shifted, especially on the backside of the season, where Tampa Bay is 8-7, and and they're in the driver's seat in the NFC South. So my questions to you would be the same. Will the Saints be able to cover the spread? But also, looking at the Buccaneers, what are some of the things you need to see from them to say, hey, that's the team that's been going strong these last couple of weeks that are probably going to be able to get this win Uh, again on
2: Sunday. All right, so a couple of things. Uh, I will not be going as hard in the paint as I did last week when I came at Chris Carter about the Steelers sell me why, because I was like, (laughs) Chris, you're telling America to take the over in this game, ain't no way. Over ends up hitting. Like, shame on me, eggs on my face. I'm not going to go that hard again. But Michelle may be a a, a Derek Carr hater. I'm a Dennis Allen hater. So I'm going to be honest. This is a team that the last two seasons – y'all had a lot more talents at your disposal than, than what you've been able to tangibly get out of both sides of the ball. And I understand they've had some injuries offensively this year, but they're the third worst efficiency from a, a rushing offense perspective, averaging 3.6 yards per carry this season uh, with their offensive line. They have a lot of money invested in there. I know Ryan Ramchek's banged up. I know some of their field stretchers offensively have been limited as well. And Carr's not giving you good quarterback play, but, Uh, This is a lot more talented of a team. You know, they're they're ninth in the league in scoring defense. And yet here they are potentially falling to seven and nine if they lose on the road. And Michelle made some great points about how much that they've struggled. And you're going into Tampa Bay and you add the lens of what Tampa has done defensively the last two weeks where 96 rushing yards conceded to to Atlanta, 60 rushing yards conceded to Green Bay, and then 37 rushing yards conceded to Jacksonville the last three weeks. They're playing really good run defense. And, and if it's going to happen for New Orleans, it has to happen because they're more balanced offensively, Michelle. So uh, that I think that's one of my biggest worries for this game, too, is it's just the ways in which New Orleans has to win. I think Tampa's playing at a very high level as well.
1: I can see there there being a path for the saints right i think the one path is that Derek carr plays he has those randomly good games right where he's on fire yeah. and i do think this could be a game he could do it right the buccaneers defense are allowing the most passing yards per game in the nfl this season they have a weak secondary but also they're especially weak and deep passes right deep pass attempts and he has the weapons chris Olave can get there deep and he's been utilizing him more lately Thank goodness, Carr has been actually looking at his best wide receiver more consistently. You have Rachid Shahid who actually ranks third in the NFL in deep receiving yards. So that's 20 plus air yards, right? He's only behind Tyree kill and Amari Cooper. This dude never gets targeted at least consistently. So him being third in that category this year is insane. So you definitely have these opportunities against this Buccaneers secondary do hit those big chunk plays. And that's the one area where the saints could really come out and beat up on the Buccaneers. And that's their chance to win. You just need to trust that Derek Carr is going to have one of those good games and not have the meltdowns that he some has sometimes has. I say sometimes, oftentimes has with his turnovers.
2: And, and then even just kind of the vibes out of New Orleans too. It, it's there. The guys are the offensive linemen are yelling at Derek Carr on the field. Like it, it's just there's there's uh, the pathway as you outlined. I think does exist. Do I trust it to happen? No. And that's why I'm yeah. I'm graciously passing on Ross's sell me why of the Saints covering the three points. But I do think you make a great point. Anytime you have a player like Chris Olave and Derek Carr, when it just becomes as simple as we're going to win vertical routes, if we get time, we can let it loose. uh, That's the fastest ticket to winning a game is explosive plays. The challenge for Tampa Bay is don't shoot yourself in the foot because you've been playing really good ball the last month. Don't let this be the aberration game where you see light at the end of the tunnel and you blink too fast and you let this one get the best of you.
0: Indeed. Now, two teams that are actually been up and down. Sometimes they're playing great, sometimes not so much. That's the Minnesota Vikings and their rival Green Bay Packers. On Sunday Night Football, we'll get to see the Vikings host the Packers. Vikings are one-and-a-half-point favorites in that one, and here's Luke Braun of Locked On Vikings to tell you why the Vikings can't cover that spread. What's
6: up, everybody? It's Luke Braun here in the Locked On Vikings podcast, and here is what the Vikings need to do to get a win on Sunday Night Football against the Packers. They have to not turn the ball over. <laughs> it, it has been a refrain all season long. Kevin O'Connell, as head coach of the Vikings, has not yet lost a game where the Vikings were even or ahead in the turnover battle. If they can protect the football, they can find a way to cloud a win against anybody, most certainly the Green Bay Packers. To do that, they need to get a a good, safe quarterbacking performance out of Jaron Hall, who is going to start for the second time this year. Nick Mullins was benched for throwing four interceptions. It has been a thing. (laughs) And they also need to find a way to get Justin Jefferson going and not completely, you know, turtle into a shell of an offense that's nothing, right? Justin Jefferson is the only major weapon left on the Vikings. TJ Hawkinson is out. Jordan Addison is, will go with questionable. So maybe they will have him as well but it's going to be kind of Justin Jefferson and some guys. And that means that the Packers will be able to double him all day long. They need to find ways to get him out from under those double teams, or they just need to run the ball all day and hope that Ty Chandler has the game of games. But that feels a little bit harder to accomplish. Uh, If Justin Jefferson can get going, the Vikings can take home a win. They can cover their spread. They're one point underdogs. The spread moved about three points after they announced that Jaron Hall would be the starter in the into the Packers favor so Vegas does not like that benching but we'll see how it all turns out
0: very interesting that the Vikings are one and a half point favorites in that one and first off I wanted to ask Michelle of course if they're going to cover the spread but also your thoughts on how Jordan Hall and the decision to go with him as a starting QB how did that impact and do you think that was the right move for the Vikings
1: I have no idea if this is the right move, right? I mean, I think they're just trying anything at this point. They got some goodness out of Josh Dobbs for a bit, and then he was a turnover machine. Got a little bit of goodness from Nick Mullins. He's turned into a turnover machine. I I don't really expect too much from Duran Hall, right? I mean, we have seen so little of him. We got that one drive when he was the starter, and it was a pretty solid drive. He drove them down, kicked a field goal. Cool. And then we didn't get to see anything else. So he's a 5th round rookie. It's going to be so hard to know. But I, I do expect the Vikings to lose this game. I think they just have way too many injuries, right? You have TJ Hawkinson now out for the year. You have Jordan Addison dealing with an ankle injury. We'll see if he plays. Obviously, Kirk Cousins has been out for a while. But the Vikings have lost, four, lost four of their last five games. And their one win during that span was against the Raiders when they won 3-0. to zero. It's been a really bad stretch of games. And also talk about bad uh, home road splits. They're actually bad at home, which is very weird for teams. They're two and five at home this season. They lost their last two home games against the bears and the lions. Like the lions, you understand, but the bears, they really should have beat. I know the Packers are so inconsistent and their defense is just really terrible under Joe Barry, but I I will take the Packers to win this game uh, and to cover the spread. Yeah. And
0: that's probably where my thought was as well, Kyle, like, the, the Packers, to me, are the team where they're up and down, but you still have some good weapons that you've utilized in a good way at times. And you still have Jordan Love, and I probably lean in the direction of him being able to get it done maybe a little bit more than I lean in the direction of Hall, but who knows. But where what are your thoughts just in terms of this maybe being a bounce-back game for the Packers, or or is it more of a bounce-back game for the Vikings?
2: Uh, I think it's a bounce back game for the Packers. We'll see what of their pass catchers are available too. Jaden Reed didn't dress last week. Uh, seems like they got half of these first and second year wide receivers are down on a weekly basis between him and Wicks and Watson and Dobbs. And it, it's just kind of this revolving door. And then you add in the injuries at the running back position that they've had this season as well. Uh, just no continuity. So you admire uh, what you have seen from Jordan love this season in spite of all of that. And I think it gives you great enthusiasm the challenge for Green Bay is, is like I was ready to buy in on Green Bay about a month ago. And it's just kind of been a disastrous stretch for them and losing to the Giants and the Bucks in back to back weeks. And, and that Bucks loss came by two touchdowns at home. You had Joe, the Joe Barry uh, blow up in the two minute offense defense situation against the Giants in New York and, and after beating the Chiefs. So it, it's not a team that I trust a ton. They nearly blew the Panthers game last week. But I do think if I'm staring at the lesser of two evils here between Jaron Hall and his second career start and TJ Hawkinson being out and hopefully we get more Ty Chandler because I've had just about enough of Alexander Madison, then I'm going to go with Green Bay uh, just because I I think they have a little bit more stability because they've been playing through the adversity and limited personnel all year long. Indeed. Now,
0: speaking of adversity and just the up and down and kind of a head scratcher would be the Chiefs who are going to face off against the Bengals this Sunday. It's a battle of two AFC teams. And honestly, these aren't teams that we thought at the beginning of the season would be where they are, but they're here. So the Bengals are actually six and a half point underdogs in that game. And here's James repeat to sell you why the Bengals can actually cover that spread.
7: Well, the Bengals cover the seven point spread between them and the Kansas City Chiefs on Sunday. At Arrowhead, hi again, everyone. I'm James Zerpine from the Locked On Bengals podcast, and I absolutely think the Bengals can cover that seven-point spread. And it starts with their opponent. These are not the Chiefs that we're used to seeing. This is not the Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, big-play offense led by Andy Reid that we're used to seeing. They have struggled in recent weeks and had their up and downs, uh, ups and downs all season long. And so when I look at this Kansas City Chiefs team. I actually think about their defense, but offensively, I don't expect them to score a ton on Sunday. In fact, this Bengals defense, they're getting Cam Taylor Britt back, their top cornerback, and that should allow them to play more their style. And it starts with stopping the run because they've been susceptible to the run all season long. Well, Isaiah Pacheco, the Chiefs' top running back, is in concussion protocol and might miss this game. And so when you combine that with the fact that Cam Taylor Britt is coming back, I don't think they're going to give up the big plays that we're used to seeing. And then on offense, Jamar Chase, well, I expect them to play. And if you have Jamar Chase on one side, T. Higgins on the other, and Tyler Boyd roaming over the middle, you're going to have a chance to move the ball against this Kansas City secondary. It's a really good Kansas City defense. I think it's the best unit in this game of the Bengals offense and defense and the Chiefs offense and defense, but they are beatable. And they're certainly susceptible to the pass when you have guys like Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. And so the question is, can Jake Browning rebound after throwing three interceptions last week? I think he will. He rebounded after losing to the Steelers on November 26th with a huge Monday night performance against the Jaguars. I'm not saying he's going to put up those numbers, but I do think he will take care of the football and the Bengals will keep it close in Kansas City. For more on the Bengals, make sure you check out the Locked on Bengals podcast.
0: So, Kyle, do the Bengals cover?
2: Well,
0: James got one thing right.
2: This Chiefs pass defense is probably the best unit out of the group. Obviously, LeJarius Sneed and his injury it really hurts. But, uh, man, you think this Chiefs defense has four games this season where they've given up less than 100 team passing yards to opposing teams. And we just watched Drake Browning turn back into a pumpkin last week. So is this Jamar Chase is, is the one all that's going to fix Jake Browning's uh, struggles this past week? I don't know. But I think you look at Kansas City and them being at home in this game. I think you look at Kansas City and them in the same light that we talked about, Dallas, where you you have to start stacking together positive performances. You had a really good defensive performance against the Raiders. Your offense gave up two defensive touchdowns in seven seconds and you lost by six we got to find ways and manufacture more ways to get your best players touching the ball offensively for Kansas city. I think that starts happening this week. The Bengals do have two really good linebackers in coverage between Jermaine Patton, and Logan Wilson, but I'd like to think with the secondary for, for Cincinnati amidst kind of their personnel changes this past off season, being a little bit shaky. This is, this feels like a get right opportunity for Kansas city, especially if Pacheco is able to go, they can be a little bit more balanced and, Kadarius Tony's out, so we don't have to worry about throwing him the ball and making some critical errors as well. So I, I like Kansas City at home. Uh, six and a half is a big number, but but I would probably go Kansas City just because of it, it's under a touchdown.
0: Yeah, Michelle, I have to say that six and a half kind of made me raise an eyebrow as well. But do you think the Bengals will be able to cover the spread?
1: I don't think they're going to win, but I think they'll cover the spread. So it was a terrible game last week against the Steelers for sure, but they've covered the spread six and a half points uh, in each of their first four games with uh, Jake Browning as starter. So I I am worried about the Chiefs defense. You brought up great points there. They've been absolutely dominant. The one thing the Chiefs need to do is stop dropping the ball, right? You bring up Kadarius, Tony, Justin Watson leads the league with Mm -hmm. six drops. Like Maybe stop passing the Justin Watson. Just throw the Rasheed Rice, Clyde edwards Lair, and more importantly, Travis Kelsey. Just get those three guys involved. Stop with the craziness with Tony and Watson.
0: All right, just go to the guy that brought you there if that guy can only get his head in the game. Now, it's almost time to talk Dolphins at Ravens, which means it's almost time to check out Vandal.
2: Listen, guys, the weather may be cooling off, but the deals are staying hot over at FanDuel for your NFL bets. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. It's $150 if your team wins. So if you like good ROI, FanDuel's got a great opportunity for you. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there is no better time to get in on the action than right now. The app is super easy to use, and they have a slew of betting options available that include money lines player props, team totals, over-unders, spreads, you name it, they got it. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off your NFL postseason with FanDuel, official partner of the NFL.
0: All right, guys, it's kind of the moment we've all been waiting for. I just kind of love to talk Dolphins when Kyle's in the building because, hey, he gives us nuggets about the team, which is still continuing to trend up and all the things that make the Dolphins really good kind of bordering on great at times. Now, this week, of course, they have a formidable opponent in the Baltimore Ravens. And in fact, Kyle, what may make that challenging, although like we said earlier, playing in Baltimore isn't exactly the most threatening thing that a team can do like it's not the scariest place but certainly they've got a little bit of a home field advantage there if you will and that's where the dolphins will find themselves in a critical critical afc matchup this week and now kyle the dolphins are three and a half point underdogs you agree with that
2: yeah i certainly think when you factor in home field advantage and miami being a team that has not been the same presence on the road offense, particularly offensively as they've been on the road or at home I think that the spread's about right. Uh, I think this is going to be a very close game. I would not be surprised if this game ends up mirroring a lot of what Miami Dallas did. Just because since Jalen Ramsey's came back for the Dolphins defense, they are one of the best units in the league. They are really, really good defensively and they've already set the franchise record for sacks with 52 with two games left to play. They have two guys on the interior and Zach Sealer and Christian Wilkins with eight plus sacks this season. Bradley Chubb has been the player that they acquired at the trade deadline. You have Howard and Ramsey on the perimeter. It looks like they're going to get Javon Holland back at safety this week, which is a major boost to the secondary as well. So I I think they're going to make the Ravens have to be methodical offensively. The Dolphins, one of the best teams against the run all season long after that week one performance against the Chargers. So um, I, I think the team that hits 24 points will win the football game. Do you trust that to be Baltimore at home? Do you trust Miami to do it when they have not done it and they will not have Jalen Waddell this week? Uh, I, I think that's if you're looking for a silver lining as a Dolphins fan, last time they didn't have Jalen Waddle, they scored 70 points. Now they're not playing the Broncos, they're playing the Baltimore <laughs> Ravens, which is probably the best defense in football, right? Uh, but but they just played the Jets, a very challenging defensive opponent a couple weeks ago without Tyreek. And I think their game plan was tailored appropriately. So I think for Miami. They're going to have to play a little different style. They're going to embrace a little bit more methodical offensive approach as compared to hunting some of the explosive plays. And if the Dolphins defense can force Baltimore to do the same exact thing, I think that just becomes who makes the big mistake in a critical situation. And that can tilt the game one
0: way or another. Yeah, and like you said, it's not the Broncos, so it won't be a 70-piece. But 24 is doable. A third of that 70-piece is not actually something that is out of the realm of consideration. But, Michelle, where do you kind of stand on this one? Because, you know, like Kyle said, the Ravens are kind of an interesting team in that they can score on you. But, like, what you're seeing from the Dolphins, especially on defense, you know, it's just they're playing lights out. They're just playing really solid football all around, but especially on that end. So do the Dolphins are three-and-a-half-point underdogs, What are your thoughts on that particular game and how it's going to play out, particularly with them as the underdogs?
1: I think the Ravens take control here and they win uh, by more than four points. Uh, The Dolphins on the road. I know they won each of the last road games by uh, each of the last two road games by over 20 points, but that's against the commanders and the jets, right? It's a little bit different than, I mean, the three road games prior were bills, Eagles, chiefs. They lost each of those games by more than a touchdown, got destroyed by the bills. I and I know their defense is playing much better than at that, that period of time, but you brought up like pressures, right? How good the Dolphins' defense is playing, but the Ravens they lead the NFL with quarterback pressures this year, so they're doing really great on that side, and that can really mess with this Miami Dolphins offense. So this year the Dolphins are 10 and one when Tua faces a quarterback pressure percent under 30 percent, but one and three when he faces a quarterback pressure percent over 30. And I do think the Ravens are going to be able to get to him. Now, a big key here, Kyle Hamilton needs to be healthy. I do think that's huge for the Ravens offense. If he were to not be healthy enough to play, he did return to practice yesterday. I didn't see his status today. Uh, But if he plays, I feel really good about the Ravens defense controlling the the Dolphins, especially without Jalen Waddell there. Tyreek Hill's going to get his, of course. He always will. But I, I feel confident the Ravens will cover in this matchup. And Kyle, with a shorter week to
0: kind of prepare and rest up for the Ravens, coupled with the fact that uh, you could kind of call it an emotional win because they went out to Santa Clara and put that put that whip on the 49ers, is this kind of – and I want—I use the term loosely to say letdown, but do those things factor in the, uh, the way that they beat the 49ers and the fact that they have a shorter week to prepare?
2: Well, I certainly think you're mindful of Monday Night Football, West Coast trip – from a, a game week preparation standpoint, mm-hmm. uh, to Michelle's point, uh, Kyle Hamilton did not practice today and neither did Brandon mm-hmm. Stevens, one of their other corners. So uh, and, and Stevens was not on the injury report on Wednesday and had an ankle injury that apparently turned up on practice on Wednesday. So you got Stevens at corner and Kyle Hamilton both did not practice today. So if you're, you're looking for an offset for maybe helping Miami and I think Kyle Hamilton's absence not only helps the Dolphins passing offense I think it helps their rushing offense because they love so much to get out on the perimeter with their run game but you can't block Kyle Hamilton with skill players right like he he's so long he's so freakishly explosive and instinctive I think that that single dynamic if Hamilton can't go I, I think helps Miami be a little bit more balanced offensively and that in turn can maybe help the Dolphins to stem this pass rush for Baltimore. That's had Matt of week inside with double digit sacks this season and Clowney's playing the best football that he's played probably five years. They got a lot of really impressive performers on that defense and and they, they like to kind of sit on you in the back seven and really get after you in the front. So it'll be really interesting to see how that storyline continues to unfold.
0: Interesting indeed. So just like, you know, on Monday, it was ravens Niners, one of the most watched games of NFL Monday Night history. I think this is going to be another one of those kind of must-see games, if you will. But we got a ton of them here in Week 17, so we appreciate you guys stopping by to hear us talking about all of these great matchups as it goes down to the wire for who makes it to the postseason on both sides, the AFC and the NFC. We also here at NFL Kickoff Live appreciate you guys for rocking with us from day one here in 2023. We wish you guys a happy, happy new year that's going to be a prosperous and safe weekend for you, and we'll see you on the other side.